fifth episode of the Idea DevOps Tools podcast. Our goal is to spread knowledge about key topics in the software development industry with solutions that help users throughout every step of the application development process. From building to securing, testing, and deploying applications, our solutions experts are poised to provide enticing perspectives and industry insights. Today, you're going to be hearing from Kiwan. Kiwan is an application testing and analysis solution. This application security platform works with over 30 technologies and plugs directly into your IDE to provide a seamless application security testing approach. Kiwan is a critical tool for some of the world's largest organizations across industries, including Centrica, BBVA, Merck, Telefonica, Banco Colombia, Ferrovial, and Peloton. My name is Alex Goodwin, and I'm from the Kiwan marketing team, and we're going to be chatting with JD Burke, who is the lead sales engineer for Kiwan working closely with many different teams worldwide to help them achieve high quality and securely developed applications. Hi, JD. It's great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I am unbelievable, Alex. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's great. So let's jump into some questions about the role of code quality in DevSecOps. So starting off um, at a high level, JD, you know, how would you define code quality? Uh, well, so... Just generally speaking, it is a, a measure of the of certain parameters of your code development experience. Okay, so to put that in kind of regular working words, um, it probably in your world boils down to one of two things. Um, you're probably talking about functional quality, so that's your fidelity to the requirements that um, gave birth to the code project you're working on. So that's your how closely you're honoring the contracts you've created with your um, stakeholders and your your owners, your your project leads. Though, and the other one might be um, structural quality. So that's really the area that I live in mainly and uh, key one generally hangs out in. So that's, um, conformance to a series of non-functional requirements generally described by standards, either internal standards that you might have at your organization or um, international standards, like in, in our case, ISO 25,000 for key one. Um, but so generally speaking, it's one of two things. It's your conformance uh, to a series of metrics that are functionally based. So that would be your stakeholders or non-functionally based, which is typically um, your ability to meet up to standards uh, that that um, are out there in the in the world. Makes total sense. Um, so, kind of based on what you're saying, it's clear that there's a distinction between uh, code quality and and you know in a functional sense, and then also code security. Um, and traditionally, you know, it's kind of been the, the case that uh, maybe QA teams are focusing more on, on uh, quality as a software defect, as a and you know considering more, considering it more as a life-threatening uh, risk for an application. You know, obviously usability is a key uh, core component of an application's purpose. Uh, but by contrast, you know, security was more of a consideration as it pertains to protecting customer data and, and preventing attacks. Um, you know. So let's kind of tie things back together. From your perspective, who do you think should care about code quality? Do you think that there is some overlap between security uh, folks and you know functional testing folks in this regard? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's and it, it's a cousin to the whole DevOps, DevSecOps thing. So we've you and I have talked about this before that the whole notion of DevOps is really uh, a, a thing that you and I were going to drink beers over, and that it is a 
a a um, kind of operating paradigm that that makes the whole life cycle of developing code, deploying it, and operating it everyone's everyone in the organization's responsibility, and and you have some amount of um, roles and responsibility in that that whole ec ecosystem. Hidden in there are sec the sec people. That's where the DevSecOps thing comes in. And you, it's not really a bolt-on, or it's just they are part of the population and they have a role to play. And and it goes the other way around that that everyone has a role in security. It's the same kind of model and quality. So everyone should care about quality. Um, somewhere in there, I told you that quality, software quality was is is has a component or a leg in um, code functionality or fidelity to the the um, requirements and the design documents. And then somewhere we also talked about non-functional parts of quality where you're compliant to some kind of standard. And just like in the DevOps, DevSecOps talk, there's a, a similar kind of model in that, that functional and um, non-functional look at quality. So that is to say, uh, or maybe another way to say that is that the security types and the people who are who live close to the thread edge and are have day-to-day -day responsibilities for security might be more of a tactical quality person where their quality concerns are orbiting around the tactical parts of quality and that you're building code um, either from start in the functional design phases with your threat modelers and, and architecture, or with the actual code that's deployed, that it's functionally secure. And, and, and sometimes you do that with SAS, say for example, or SCA scanning, where you scan your code and look for vulnerabilities. And that there's some other portion of the quality camp that are more strategic. Um, so the, the SEC guys, maybe you might consider them tactical quality. And then the stakeholders and the threat modelers and the architects uh, and even engineering managers or to some degree the developers themselves are more of a strategic quality bent. So that is to say, uh, when you start probing around the whole software quality thing, there's going to be a, a discussion where we have, where we talk about code complexity, and cleanliness and dead code and just just you know, pattern conformance and that kind of stuff, um, which which tends to fall in that strategic camp. That we're doing stuff at a strategic level, at an organizational level, we are pushing for quality that and developing code that's maintainable, that's portable, that's smart, that's intelligent, that's designed with security in mind, that kind of stuff. So there's two camps. There's there's the tactical quality and the functional, I'm sorry, the tactical quality and the strategic quality. Um, they look a lot or they would they would be similar in DNA to the kind of discussions we had around DevSecOps and DevOps. And that you tie all those together kind of based on where you are in your pipeline, in your organization, what roles you have um, uh, will describe what kind of view um, is relevant to you with respect to quality. It kind of seems that 
Um, caring about code quality is a holistic thing for the organization, but it, it's targeted from different perspectives and, and for different reasons. So I think you know that's a pretty comprehensive explanation and definitely clears that up. Um, you know what moving forward from that now we can understand why people should care why specific uh, stakeholders should care and, and what's going to motivate them what are you know some of the major outcomes of, of deploying applications that have poor code quality uh well so just like anything right so you pay for what you get or you get what you pay for maybe a better way to say that um if you have poor quality code then it, it there's there are some some um, dimensions of code quality. So, for example, in Keywan, um, we measure with respect code quality with respect to portability, efficiency, reliability, maintainability, and security. So, so compromising on any one of those may be appropriate for given use cases or user stories, but um, all of those will come with some kind of cost, and that could be code that's difficult to maintain. That could be code that's brittle and only built for one OS or one platform. And then consequently, when you port it over to another platform, you pick up tech debt to change that over, or you uh, expose weaknesses because you're not particularly adept at protecting yourself on that new platform. Um, there's, uh, if, you, if you are sloppy with your patterns and, and your code conformance and code compliance, then uh, it makes it harder for the next developer. You know, so when she comes in there and tries to fix your mess, first of all, she has to tease out your spaghetti code and figure out what you did, what you were thinking. And then she has to fix it. And then hopefully she doesn't break something downstream and introduce additional issues later on because you didn't conform to um, the expectations of the um, organization, and et cetera. So there's just a lot of parameters that are involved in that. But just generally speaking, it's it's comes down to kind of predictability and um, defensibility and commitment or fidelity to um, whatever design uh, criteria and parameters uh, you have in your organization. Great, total sense. Um, I guess on, on the flip side of that then, is there you know, some inherent advantage to really ensuring that you're deploying code at a much higher level of quality? Um, you know, thinking about maybe efficiency or performance in deployed applications. Uh, yeah, totally. But you know, let's let's dump a couple of cups of uh, pragmatism in there. There's going to be some amount of diminishing returns, right? So, so somewhere we're going to be high enough on the good enough curve. But uh, but generally speaking, yeah. If if you have high quality code, if you have code that has good strong um, code quality then you start to build in some amount of predictability and um, uh, assurance or knowledge of how code will perform in, in selected um, user stories and user use cases. So some of those use cases might be given to you by architects and the security types that say, you know, this is code that's way out at the thread edge. So we need it to be, we need to have some sort of assurance on how it will perform in following situations or that we have um, a good clean way to track the um, let's say for example the packages that are deployed you know so so we can tell if we have a log for j floating around in our code that we need to patch really quickly or whatever and then then uh 
the whole maintainability thing. So when you're starting to accrue tech debt and work down tech debt, burn off tech debt, and uh, deploy new features or understand the ramifications of adding new code blocks into your code base or new features or deprecating features or, or any of that, you have an idea of what the impacts are because you have a very strong idea of what a given piece of, you know, what task a given piece of code is supposed to do, what contracts it has with the world, and how it honors those contracts. And then consequently, um, you know, where the gap is um, so that you can uh, manage your work, manage the uncertainty that any given step that you and a developer take next might introduce with that that world that you've mapped out. Once again, there's a pragmatism in there that somewhere in there, you know, you can analyze this to death, but somewhere in there, the quality is going to be good enough for the function that that code's performing or for the project in general or for the uh, maturity of your organization at that you know, given time in your, your, your shop's uh, maturity model or life cycle. Makes sense. It seems like there's a lot of considerations at play here. Um, you know, moving moving forward from that, looking into you know actually how uh, organizations can really prevent code quality issues. What are some of the key ways that uh, developers can be more strategic about remediating and ensuring that they don't uh, create code quality issues in their applications? Uh, well, so part of that, so on. Unfortunately, some of this, or a good portion of this, I think comes down to just shop, your, your software development shop's maturity and how well you, or how many cycles you can spend on training and, and you know, drinking beer together in front of a whiteboard and standardizing on processes and patterns that you use within your shop and your organization. Um, there are some ways though that you can make it easier rather than harder. So, for example, there are code quality tools. Key one is one. Uh, you know, when we scan your code, um, we actually perform an ISO 25000 scan for code quality. So we generate opinions or numbers based on the on these metrics that I'm talking about: portability, efficiency, reliability, maintainability, and security. And from there, you know, once you start to measure something, then you can start to improve it. And and there's still going to be an exercise for the developer and the engineering management team to figure out which is the smartest thing to work on next based on all the business priorities you have. But at least you'll have a, an idea where you are so you can try and decide where you want to go in the future. And and there are lots of different tools. Key one's one. Um, and then you know, with that, then you can, like in our case, you can break out the security portion of that, and then that's SAST, and that's that's where we shift from that. Maybe uh, our code quality scan would be more that um, strategic view on quality, and then the the security component of that component of that that shows up in the SAST or presents to you as SAST would be more that tactical view on quality. So that you have an idea of, you know, for example, that this specific code quality thing points to a CWE that um, is offensive to the following normative standards, and and therefore, you know, potentially offensive to some of your your customers or consumers of your code, and then that'll guide you on what to do next. 
So you have a couple of things there. One is just old school um, management training and, and teaching and standardizing your shop and, and instilling a culture of quality and improvement in your shop. And then the second part is, um, you know, using some tools that can help um, fast track or in, inform what you do next. Fast track what to do, what might you do, and then help inform which ones of those things you want to do next. Yeah, it sounds like creating better processes at the organizational level is, is essential and then implementing tools that can support that uh, down the line as well. Um, yeah, there's, and there's, there's a drag, the dragon that's hidden in there is that in today's world, that thing you just said, implementing processes can be super tricky because um, you're moving at the speed of DevOps and CICD, right? So a lot of those tools need to be baked into your pipeline and be very low friction on your developers so that that you know, you can inform a developer that there's a quality issue to look at and work on, but not get in the, in the way of them delivering code to meet a business imperative, you know, to do your build or your, um, your production release that's due next week so you can get paid, that kind of thing. So there's, there's, a, there's a fine line in there with, between speed and, and uh, you know, kind of improving without killing everybody in the process. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's always going to be a business decision, you know, to try and ensure that the ROI is there um, for balancing those those facets. Um, and so with that said, as organizations look to implement tools to remediate, you know, some of their code quality issues and obviously security as well, where does, you know, Q1 specifically stand as, as a solution for this compared to, you know, other offerings in the industry maybe? Uh, well, so we, so Q1, 10 has about 20, almost 20 years in software development experience, right? So we approach this whole um, space from a software developer's perspective. And we have come from a background of software quality. That's where we started from. And we recognize or we are of that, that type, that generation that believes um, secure code begins with quality code. There are some out there that that say they're completely separate and and you know you and i might make them go buy the next round of beers while they explain it to us but we are that camp that says good quality code points to secure code or it's a requirement for secure code and we and like i said 18 years of experience 18 plus starting with the software quality and what that presents to the software developer and the the operations types so we have a unified tool that you you scan the code once, and we've not only produced a software quality, but a software security. So we do software quality and SAST and, and SEA for that matter, all in one scan. And, and it's ties right back to that thing I was talking about, that dragon, that speed dragon, that anymore you can't, you have to be able to do your job without getting in the way of the developers moving forward because they, they just go so fast. Uh, anymore with CICD concepts that um, you get like one bite at the apple and you need to produce a lot of information, a lot of, lot of improvement information uh, and insights for the developer with that first bite, if you can get it. And that's what we do. So we do one scan. It produces a quality report um, as well as a security scan and a SEA scan. And then the engineering managers can parse that apart, help figure out what the next 
next trick is, the next thing to do is some of that, the, the SAS part of that and SEA, actually well, probably just the SAS part of that is going to be very tactical. So, you know, Sally Coder introduces a SQL injection. You, you create a JIRA ticket and tell Sally Coder to fix her mess. The other things like the quality um, are gonna be more of an engineering management thing where there may be some teachable moments that come out of there, or it may point to a series of microservices or code that um, has sufficient quality for the job it does and other code bases that it points to that um, the quality is not good enough. And then you um, can work together as a team to figure out how do you improve quality over time and build that into your um, future releases, that kind of thing. But just generally speaking, from a Keybon point of view, it's it's tends to be super handy to have all that stuff all on one table. Giving you know developers all the resources they need, you know, directly um, during that process is essential, as you said. Um, but yeah, that seems like a, a great place to wrap up. I think we've given a pretty good overview of um, how Q1 can support. Uh, ensuring that your code quality is high as well as uh, just developing more secure code in general. Um, and with that said, that's all we have uh, for the episode today. Thank you so much for joining us today, JD. Um, and for all our listeners, make sure to um, check out Kiwan at kiwan.com um, and also subscribe to this podcast so that you keep getting additional episodes. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And